Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Jesse Gastan. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gastan. Well, I want to welcome you to another Monday edition of Lifeline. Here we are, you and I, on... uh, this Monday, December 30th, 2019. Yes, indeed. You and I have exactly two more days and literally about 33 hours before we enter into the blessed newness of the year, which our sovereign God in his benevolence will supply for us who are granted the right to see it. My, how time flies. My, how time flies. Is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? Is time moving at the speed of a weaver's shuttle? If time moves at the speed of a blink of the eye, at at thousands of light years of, of motion to where you and I are so carefully and keenly and conscientiously aware of our ever-growing agedness. Is that a good thing? Ladies and gentlemen, is it a good thing that you and I are aware that time is moving swiftly? And my answer would be yes. Yes. Yes, it's important for you and I to feel and sense and know the value of time. The apostle put it this way in Ephesians 5, that smart believers, bright believers, well-informed believers must redeem the time. In other words, value it. Purchase it with a sense of determination, with a sense of understanding. Purchase the time with a sense of its reciprocating value. That is, you know, you and I have time allotted to us by our sovereign God in order that you and I might live a life that brings him honor and glory and somehow does some good for this world. So I say again, as time is appearing to all of us by virtue of our, you know, our advancement in age, certainly older people are keenly aware of, um, of a given 24 hour period, certainly a week and a month. And then years, younger people, not so much, but younger people today are becoming more and more aware of the brevity of time and years are going by swiftly. Are they not? And, said this to our congregation and grace for years that uh, God gives us cycles. He gives us days and weeks and months and years. That's Genesis one, by the way. And he gives them for us to enter into a process of collaboration with him by which what he has provided for us in terms of creation that we would live out as a reflection of his goodness to us 
and to operate out of a mandate given by God to us relative to the condition of the world. What that means then is it is every believer's privilege and responsibility to make sure we get the most out of every day that God gives us, which brings me to my point today in terms of wanting to call your attention to a thought. I really do. I, I want you to lean in for a moment. Lean your ear into the speaker. Uh, incline your mind uh, towards this voice that you hear for a moment. All 10,000 of y'all, 20,000, everybody out there all across the land and nation uh, and some parts of the world to the way this um, signal bounces from here to Australia and different parts of the world. All of those who are coveting listening to the Monday show, which I'm privileged to be the voice of up to this point, I want you to lean in with me because there's a word that I want to call your attention to, a word for which I want you to join me for the next two hours as I seek to impress its significance upon your soul and to engage you with it, quite frankly, in terms of dialogue and conversation. Uh, And that word is focus. Focus. The word is focus. Say focus. Focus. I want you to think about the meaning of that word for a moment with me, and I want you to think about its importance in relationship to the 33 hours that are uh, headed your way, about to knock on your door. The 33rd hour will be uh, 12 p.m. midnight, the beginning of January 1st, where we will actually change our calendar uh, and signet at the end of uh, any kind of paperwork that we have to do where we sign, you know, 1230 19 That's how I do it. It will be 1-1-2020. <clears throat> we'll have to get used to that. Uh, and when we do, we will have moved into the beginning of another clock that will really call our attention to, are we meandering? Are we kind of spinning our wheels? Now, you know, I do this every year as we move to the, towards the end of the year. I really do call your attention to reflection. I, w- I want you to think with me about how this last year went and what things you were able to accomplish by the grace of God and what things you did not accomplish. And I, I want you to just, without even being uh, overly analytical, without being uh, mentally verbose, I want you to intuitively draw a conclusion as to how did you do this year over the last 365 days? Now, something like 363 days and some hours. How did you do? If you if you were to reverse the clock, go back to January 1st, January 1st of 2019, up to now, in terms of whatever plans you had, whatever goals you had, whatever objectives you uh, pursue, whatever uh, expectations you had, whatever dreams you had, and whatever uh, resolve you had to participate in the fulfillment of them, from then to now, I want to ask you the question. How do you feel about your performance, your accomplishments, what you achieved, what you didn't achieve? Because every child of God is called to actually be productive 
in the course of a day, a week, a month, and a year. I know when we get to the area of talking about like resolutions and and goals and plans every year, there's a whole bunch of people that want to jump off the boat and swim in the other direction. And largely, listen to me, the reason why they do that is because they have a fear of failure. People who do not make resolutions who do not make plans, who do not set out to achieve goals, who do not pursue objectives. I mean, uh, as as we're going to deal with it now, are people who who fear failure. Now, if you're a person that fears failure, you reverence failure, you worship failure, and failure becomes the outcome of the expression of your life. You, you do know that, right? And God has not called you to fear. He didn't give you that spirit of fear. But of love and of what? Power and of what? A rationally sound mind that's rooted and grounded in biblical truth so that you operate out of a level of faith that puts you into connection with communion, with fellowship, with collaboration with the God who has given you a life of purpose, of which you and I should be working out that purpose in our life. Stay with me now. The word is what? Focus. It's the word I want you to think about. Focus. What does it mean? What does it mean to focus on something? It means to fixate. It means to set your eyes on. It means to to be committed to. It means to to ponder. It means to reflect. It means to hold your gaze. It means to to be so zeroed in on that thing. In many ways, you zone everything else out. I'll give you an example of it. Then I want to do an acrostic on that word focus. And I want to unpack one Bible verse over the next two hours while I engage you. Remember, our word is what? Focus. Listen to this example of the idea of focus given to us in Acts chapter 3. Now, Peter and John went to the, together into the temple at the hour of prayer. It's the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter, now mark this, and John, about to go into the temple, asked alms of them. May I ask you a question? Was this lame man operating out of a focused purpose? Of course he was. You know that. He had been laid there by people who helped him every day with the very objective of asking alms. On this day, he focuses on Peter and on John. Now, I want you to watch how the interaction goes because our word for today is what? It's focus. It's focus. And it says, having seen Peter and John going into the temple, he asked of alms of them. And Peter, now watch this, fastening his eyes upon him. Now, I want you to think with me now what just occurred. There was a man who was focused in his purpose, who when being placed in his purpose, operated out of his focus and out of his focus came an opportunity, came an occasion by which now he could engage his calling and having focused on two men, 
We know this is not an accident. We know that this is not some kind of happenstance. We know that this is providence working in connection with God's will in the life of this man that had a need, but who was also committed to the integrity of making sure that he was not dilly-dallying every day. Even this lame man, sisters and brothers, lived a life of focused purpose. Focused purpose. Are you with me? Say focus. Because that's what I want you to think about for a while now. You may be laughing, but I feel sorry for a lot of my brothers and sisters who are not as productive as a man who does not have the uh, the use of his own legs is. In a lot of ways, my brothers and sisters are lame in many other areas of their life and unable to actually move and get about and prosper and be successful because it's not so much as... You don't have legs. It's just that you don't have focus. Notice he saw Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John rather saw him. And notice what Peter says. The lame man seen Peter and John. Peter and John seen the lame man. Verse four says, and Peter fastening his eyes upon him said unto the young man, said unto the lame man. Here it is. Look on us. See what's going on here. This is a call by the apostles to the layman to do what? What's our word today? Focus. 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 Look unto me, all ye ends of the earth, and be ye saved, saith the Lord, for I am God. And besides me, there is no Savior. And this is the will of him that sent me, that all who seeth the Son and believeth on him hath everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Here's the word, ladies and gentlemen, focus. Now, the acrostic of focus for me today is the idea of fixing, F, our, O, calling, C, upon you, here's the word, service. Fixing our calling upon service. Fixing our calling upon service. The service to which God is calling you. The service to which you want to engage in a loving response to a radical love of God that has brought you out of the marketplace of idleness and aimlessness into his grand scheme of redemption. Focus is fixing our calling upon service for our Savior. And as we now think about focus, focus, focus. I want you to focus. We have to think about two things. What happened um, over the course of the last 363 days um, wherein you and I were determined to do some things? And we said it privately. We didn't say it out loud. We didn't make any resolutions, particularly if you're the kind of person that doesn't have a strong and bold faith. To be able to say, I am determined, like the Apostle Paul did, to say, I I am pressing toward the mark of the high calling, as the Apostle did. Um, To be able to say with the Hebrew writer that I am running a race, um, that I am to run this race with patience and diligence because I'm committed. I'm what? Focused? A lot of people don't do that. And you call themselves Christians, but to be a Christian is to be a person who is running in a race, who is fighting a fight who's engaging in a warfare, who is committed to a task and to, and last year's theme for us at Grace was the integrity of the upright show what? Help them focus. 
help them fix their calling upon the service to which God hath ordained them. I want to talk about that for you and I today. I want us to engage in uh, the subject of focusing our attention on our calling to serve God in the year 2020. So I've got a verse that I want to bring to your attention, unpack it with you, and then just engage you in the question, what is it that keeps us from being able to achieve the goal of which sometimes privately, tacitly in our hearts, in our mind, we set out to do, but on many, many occasions, never ever get around to do it, doing it or get into or get involved in doing it and only achieve it partially and sometimes maybe significantly, but frequently never totally. What what are the two fundamental things that's going to keep you from not being able to maintain your focus in the year 2020? The number is one triple eight three six seven five three two nine one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Engage me on the topic of focus. On the Monday edition of Lifeline, which your host is Jesse Gistead, we're going to unpack a verse, deal with a verse, going to exegete the verse. We're going to look at it critically, analytically, and understand its profound blessings to us if somehow we can get a hold of what this verse means for us as the people of God who are here living on purpose for the glory of God. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And we're back. The time is 531 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. I've got two lines open, one 888 What we're doing is we're preparing to enter into the new year. And what I want to do is encourage you and challenge you and help move you away from some very bad habits that believers engage in. I was thinking about this over the break. Um, largely, gospel ministry is all about helping the believer overcome so much unbelief in their life in order that they might realize the benefits and blessings of being a believer. I'm going to say that again. It's not it's not the totality of the the ministry of the gospel. There's a whole lot more to it, but centrally What preaching and teaching is designed to do is help the believer overcome so much of the unbelief that dominates their life and stifles their life and hinders them from actually doing what God has called them to do. Now, this would not be true if the categories for preaching and teaching didn't amount to explaining what it means to be a believer, explaining what it means to be in relationship with God, explaining what it means to collaborate with God in terms of his will in your life. And when the Bible talks about preach and teach by exhortation, that's encouragement, that's urging, by admonition, that's that's warning, by correction, that's instruction in error to get you back on an orthodox path. And then by rebuke, that's the sharp words that often are needed to help the believer overcome the stifling effects of unbelief. Can you imagine that, that much of gospel preaching and teaching is designed to mitigate the prevailing attitude of unbelief that hinders the believer from believing. I know that sounds so contradictory and so 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 averse to what you and I say we are by nature, but wouldn't you say that that's true? That often you have to come 
and hear the word and be exposed to truth in order that faith might be built up to overcome that deep resident uh, maniacal uh, cancer of unbelief that that basically if we left unbelief alone, we'd never do anything at all for the glory of God. And so we thank God for 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 teachers and preachers who have the gift of exhortation and admonition and and and, and have the the courage to remind you that you are what you are by the grace of God. And that means you are more than just your own intrinsic self-analysis and uh, self-estimation. You are much more than that. And you need to get about being what God has called you to be. I've got two lines open. One triple eight. Three six seven five three two nine. We're dealing with the word focus, focus, and we're dealing with the concept of focus in order to help you and I prepare to enter into this new world, uh, new year rather, uh, and be much more engaged in and addressing our calling as the people of God. I gave you the acrostic to fix F our O calling C upon you service. And that service is going to require you and I understanding the importance of strategic study service in order to be more productive at any time in your life requires strategic study. Like you and I all know we're called to be servants of God. You know that you know that. But some of us don't engage God at the level of service because we don't engage God at the level of intentional or strategic study. We've got to be much more strategic in our study this year, in the year 2020. We cannot be aimless. We cannot just wander in. Our heads can't be in the sky. We have to have a heart that's inclined to hear from God when we hear from the word of God. We've got to have a mind that's engaged in being able to comprehend what we're going to do today. As in a few minutes, I'm going to deal with a text out of 1 Corinthians 15 that I'm hoping going to help a few hundred of you out there, if not thousands of you out there um, with not, you know, being condemned for letting another year go by for which you did nothing substantial for this God who radically loved you and everything he did for you was substantial. I want you to overcome the fear of being resolved, the fear of being committed. The fear of being determined, the fear of uh, being resolute. I want you to overcome that fear and stop acting like an atheist, an unbeliever, a wicked person who does not believe God. This is what God said about the man who took his gift and hid it in a napkin and, and placed it in the ground. You wicked man, you unbelieving hypocrite. Don't you know I expect increase from the gift that I give to you? Now, my beloved brothers and sisters, if God gives you a gift and he has, he's given you the gift of salvation and he's given you many other gifts. He's given you the gift to live in this world, particularly in America, with all of the blessings that we have in a way that brings him glory and, 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 and is productive in your life. I can tell you testimonies of what God has done for me and many about us at Grace over the course of this last year, all because we have taken up the principle of being resolved. And this is why we operate out of themes. 
Proverbs. Last year, we operated out of Proverbs 11, 3a. And that has to do with the integrity of the upright guiding us. We want God to guide us as his upright people, upright in Jesus, upright on the grounds of who Christ is and what he did. We're saying, God, guide us. And here we are coming to the end of the year. And I have to look back and ask the question, did I operate out of the integrity of God guiding me by his spirit into his will this year? I have to ask that question. You've got to ponder the path of your ways. You've got to look diligently to your goings, Proverbs 4. You and I can't just live aimless lives. Are you with me? So here's the word, focus. Fix our calling upon serving him strategically. First, by making sure that our study of the word of God is rich, deep, and strategic. And then secondly, making sure that the response to the study of God's word is one by which we hear from God calling us into particular assignments to which we want God to grace us to move into that assignment so we can do his will. Here am I, send me. Another another example of the resolve. We just had one in Acts chapter three, did we not? The lame man got up on purpose. He was he was helped by his loving family to go to the temple and at the temple. Providence had it that he met up with John and and Peter and John and Peter fixed their eyes on him and he fixed their eyes on them. And Peter said, look on us. And the man obeyed because he was determined to hear God's word represented in John and Peter, because they are the apostles of the New Testament for you and I hear God's apostolic word, yield to it and watch what the outcome will be. That brother rose up and walked into the temple and showed the whole worshiping world that God is a is God is a God of grace and mercy and salvation and redemption and healing. He was able to move into his calling in a deep way of which he had not even he had not even probably imagined could be. Just imagine how many times he was dropped at the gate over and over and over and over, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out, year in, year out. You know what we call that? We call that perseverance. We call that focus. That brother was rewarded for being focused, wasn't he? All right, I'm going to get into my text, but what I'm going to do is take a few phone calls right now just because I don't want to hold them up. But I've got two lines open, one 888 is Here's the fundamental question that you and I want to uh, purge ourselves uh, of today, expiate ourselves of today by confession. What is it that keeps you and I from being focused enough to be able to do what we know God is calling us to do or resolving us to do or determining us to do? What causes a man or a woman to lose focus. I've got two words, but I want to hear from you on the Monday edition of Lifeline. one 367 Don't go anywhere because I want to unpack the verse that I'm going to deal with today. I've got an imperative. I've got two adjectival expressions, and I've got two fundamental and awesome promises in one verse that I want you now to look at. Now, when I quote the verse, you're going to know it. You're going to have heard it over and over and over again. But I don't know if you really ever heard this verse, but I'm hoping you hear it today. Let me go to line one and talk with uh, Shannon in Virginia. Shannon in Virginia, how are you? I'm fine. How are you, Pastor Jesse? Great. Um, how are you listening to us online? Online, yes. I found um, I found you on YouTube at one point, and then 
I've gone through hundreds of hours of your sermon. I've been very blessed by the solid biblical teaching that your uh, your church has provided online. Uh, I can't find that out here, and it's just been quite a blessing to me. So now, how can I help you? I'm glad you. I'm glad you've been able to do that. I don't pay much attention to the internet in terms of our ministry, but we have a couple people that are doing that, and they tell us that we we're making some we're making some contributions. So I'm glad that we were able to do that with you, Shannon. What's your question or observation? Or did you want to participate in our dialogue? I do. I also have a, a question and an sure. observation for you as well. Um, I have been focused on uh, the truth of the Word of God mm-hmm. for um, the last several years. Mm-hmm. Um, I came out of, for a period of time, the Pentecostal environment. Sure. And the Word of God didn't, when I went to the Word of God to seek out the things that I was seeing and I could not find it in the Word of God, um, some of the things that I was seeing and what was happening within that environment, it it led me to dig deeper into his word and to put aside the doctrines of men that were being taught and just go with what the word of God was saying, no matter what. And Pastor Jesse, I was studying one time here at the house. It was within the last year to year and a half, and I came upon Matthew chapter Mm 5, and I was um, studying the uh, verse, and I I'm not going to try to be too long here, sir, mm-hmm. um, about agree with thine adversary quickly. Right. And I was going back over that verse quite a bit, trying to understand who was the adversary mm-hmm. in, in that verse. And it led me on a, on a path, Pastor Jesse, that um, I've really heard no one teach about this. Um, I just put the word adversary into the Strong's mm-hmm. and started going through the verses, starting with Exodus but when I hit Numbers twenty two twenty two, it changed everything for me, Pastor, of how I understand the Bible. Okay. Um, Numbers twenty two twenty two, and God's anger was kindled because He went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against Him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the word adversary there is Satan. Right. Is Satan. Right. So that word adversary, Satan, there is also used when the Lord stirred up an adversary <clears throat> unto Solomon. Hadad the Edomite right. is the word Satan. Right. Um, when uh, God stirred up uh, Satan to number Israel, yep. that's David. Yep. I also started studying the word. Um, Nakash for the serpent sure. in Genesis chapter three. It's a derivative of the same thing. And that word Nakash is also used yep. for the the serpent on the brass pole. So as I'm trying to study this out, I'm seeing that God is the adversary here. Mm-hmm. Good. But but we use the word Satan for a being, uh, some spiritual being, but yet God clearly says in his word in the Hebrew that he is the Satan in several verses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what, so and how that, do we reconcile what, that? Um, that's led me down a path of then looking at it from a New Testament perspective. How is the word used in the New Testament? How is the word devil used in the New Testament? And if you go to the Strong's or even do further research off the Strong's, you know, the word devil that's addressed, let's just say the Lord... Um, you know, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, <clears throat> and he's speaking to the devil. The devil in that, <clears throat> excuse me, is um, Diablos, which is an adjective. It's not even, uh, you know, a noun. 
a noun for it's a actually, proper it, name. It, 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 is an adju- it is a noun. It is a noun. It may be operating in an adjectival form, but the devil is a noun. You have to, you have to know it contextually. So y- y- we are dealing with some, some uh, we're dealing with a study, a process of biblical interpretation that you are working through that really is at the elementary level of what we call word studies. So let me enter in for time's sake, because you're right. You know, this takes time, and we can't dominate the whole whole hour with sure. that. Sure. All right. So I'm going to do a couple things for you. When okay. you're doing what word studies, whether in the Hebrew or in the Greek, whether in the Old Testament or New Testament, you have to know what your limitations are in terms of how you are studying. Let's say you're dealing with uh, uh, you're dealing with nouns or verbs <clears throat> grammatically and isolating those nouns or verbs in any given verse, and you're looking at a particular concept or word like the Satan uh, in the Hebrew for adversary. Uh, when you look up that fundamental definition and you see that it's referring to the adversary, you can't then begin to make what is called the fallacy of a one word definition. You can't do that. You can't like take the word, make a definition out of it that is rooted in its in what we call its lexical meaning and then apply that same definition or same interpretation across the board. You cannot do that. For instance, uh, you cannot take the concept of Numbers 23, where it says that God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent, and then make that an axiomatic principle across the board because you will bump into into the problem of the doctrine of the incarnation, because, you know, Jesus is both God and man. You do agree with that, right? Yes, sir. And therefore, you cannot take a meaning and make it apply consistently across the board everywhere in the Bible, though in that particular verse that you're dealing with, it takes on that connotation or that meaning. It only has meaning in the context in which it's used at that time. It may have the same meaning in other places, but it may not have that general meaning across the board. Now, a second point that I want to make with you around the Satan and the Diabolos, the devil. Uh, When you look in the Bible, you will see clearly that there is a subject-object relationship, and you don't ever want to lose that. You will have a subject that is the first party that's engaging in the discourse, and then you will have the object that is the second party who is being impacted by the discourse. And so when you say that the term uh, Satan is adversary, you're right because Satan as a personal being that is an angelic being operates in his calling as an adversary against God and an adversary against God's people. Now we know that because the Satan is used in the book of Job as well in relationship to God speaking Yahweh, Jehovah Elohim and the Lord God spake unto Satan, the Satan about Job saying to him, have you seen my servant Job? So we have to let the verse actually flesh itself out in terms of relationship of words. So, you know, God's not talking to himself. We know that God is talking to an an individual being whom God created, who's responding to God in dialogue. The same thing would be true of Jesus in the wilderness in Matthew chapter four, that when the spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, there was a real true conversation, dialogue, conversation between the son of God and the Satan or the Diabolos. And so the Diabolos is not God the Father. 
challenging God the Son. The Diabolos is not the Son talking to himself. This is the fundamental error of oneness Pentecostals who do not recognize the distinction between the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost who make them all one person, that is Jesus. Well, the Bible's very clear grammatically in its construct that you cannot conclude that when the heavens opened up and the Father spoke from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son, that that was Jesus talking about himself like a tranquiloquist. Eventualicus. So what I want to say to you is that as you actually did get a key insight into the Satan, the adversary, doing a word study from the Old Testament to the New Testament does not help you secure an actual interpretation of the verse that you're dealing with elsewhere. Your your primer verse is Matthew chapter five. Your referent verses are Old Testament, New Testament. They may support you in understanding a portion of the verse in your primer text, but they may not serve at all to help you have a total uh, a total clarity of conclusion on the verse that's in front of you. In other words, Matthew chapter five, when Jesus says, agree with your adversary quickly um, while you are in the way with him, lest he, you know, deliver you up to the judges and the officers, you know, catch you into prison. You stay in prison until you pay the very last might in the immediate context. That's going to be a message that Jesus is given to his believers not to live in the world as overtly and politically and socially hostile to this secular world system that has uh, Satan as its governing power that opposes the gospel. Jesus was saying to them in Matthews chapter five, the ethic of the believer is to turn the other cheek. The ethic of the believer is to be persecuted for righteousness sake. The ethic of the believer is to walk in humility. The ethic of the believer is to suffer. The ethic of the believer is not to pull out his sword and go to war with the political powers of this world, even though they are adversaries of the gospel, adversaries of Jesus, adversaries of the people of God and adversaries of God. That first interpretation is to keep the believer from going political, which is what Israel did. And this is what the church has done in America and around the world as well. Gone political. Second interpretation which I'm going to render to you. Uh, I'm going to give you a, a congratulations on this. You are right that the ultimate adversary, Shannon, that yes. all human beings has to deal with is God. We yes. all we all have to deal with God as the adversary. The book of Ezekiel lays this out clearly in Ezekiel three eighteen and 33. Ezekiel warned the people from me. But what we do is we understand these within the tiers of God's government. What do I mean by that? God is the sovereign power behind all powers, secondary and tertiary and remote that he employs to bring about his will. So while God is sovereignly on his throne, he will allow Satan be to be an emissary as an adversary against God's people to test us and to try us. That doesn't make God the direct adversary of his people. It simply makes God the sovereign, benevolent one that disciplines us through Satan when we live in rebellion against him. Like David was walking in a weakness of faith over in first Samuel, when the text says, and God allowed Satan to tempt the children of Israel because God had an occasion against them. So David numbered the people that was sinful on David's part. So God uses the devil, according to Proverbs 16, four, uh, God made all things for himself, even the wicked for the day of evil. 
But what you want you and I want to do is make a clear subject object distinction between God and the devil, between God as the primary source of adversity or the secondary means of adversity. That is God in a sovereign prerogative will allow the devil to try us as an adversary against us and an adversary against God, though God does it by permission in order to test us. Remember, God is in his love for you and I, Shannon, does not tempt us in order that we fall. He tries us in order that we might call upon him. The devil is tempting us in order that we might fall. But Job very clearly was able to circumvent the devil in all of the trouble that he went through by saying, as you saw in Job chapter one, the last verse, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What was he saying? He was saying that all this evil came to me by the secondary means of the adversary, but it was also by permission of a sovereign God. And so we want to keep those categories distinct so that we don't end up making an error because we weren't sufficiently interpreting the text. I'm like way, way overdue. But if you want to email me, I'll help expand on that for you. So I'm going to give you a good grade for understanding the adversary in Matthew chapter five as really ultimately being God. But there are tears that have to be understood so that we don't misunderstand the text. Bless you. Got to take a hard break, pay some bills. When I come back, I'll deal with trash. And then I'll also deal with Kim and then we will get into our Bible study. That was a great question by uh, Shannon. And what a blessing. I'll talk about how important it is to know how to deal with Hebrew and Greek grammar when you're doing Bible study to make sure that you are sufficiently dealing with the grammar contextually, the grammar in terms of how it inflexes, how it moves, uh, and then what we would call legitimate corroborating text in order to have a legitimate interpretation with your primary text that you're dealing with. On the Monday edition of Lifeline, your host Jesse Gistan, one line open, one triple eight, no, two lines open, one triple eight, three six seven five. Three, two, nine. I'm going to pay a bunch of we're going to pay a bunch of bills and then we're going to come back and we're going to go deeper on this Monday edition of Lifeline. Remember the word focus. I'll be right back. 